A fine line between conviction and trust. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is the Spy Gone North. Hello and welcome back to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are moving west from Pearl Harbor this week. <laughs> All sorts of directional confusion here. <laughs> yes, north and northwest. We're going from Pearl Harbor in Hawaii to North Korea with our second non-English language. That's right. Our first one was Parmanu. Was there a sub like a subline to the like something about? Yes, Parmanu, the story of Pokran. That's the one. Yeah, I was like, I know it's Pokran. I was like, is it a story of Pokran or a tale of? Okay, but yes, which was our Indian language film. But this will be our first Korean language film, which was I don't not to give away anything, but it was very interesting and again based on a true story. That's right. And the title is "The Spy Gone North," not to be confused with the spy who went north. Which you kept spy. referring to. <laughs> yeah, it's where the spy who came in from the cold and then went north, which is what I keep or, thinking of that you know, Any spies who dumped people or of that nature. <laughs> so I'm just kind of curious, what's your knowledge base on North Korea and South Korea? I don't have a lot. Okay. I know yeah, they don't I'm... get along. The reason why I chose this movie was because I've become a Koreawood fan lately. Uh, Maybe okay. it's because I hold them to a lower standard than Hollywood, but for the most part, <laughs> I really enjoy the Korean movies that I've seen. You've been more movies and not gotten into like the K-dramas that have been very popular as of late. No, I prefer in movie format because okay. it ends. It Fair ends enough. in a reasonable amount of time. Fair enough. So my mother, during the pandemic, became obsessed with this one Korean drama called Crash Landing on You, which actually deals with like North Korea. Oh, yeah. So I watched about half of it. It's interesting. But as you said... There's a lot of it. And I feel like every every episode, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, was like 90 minutes and there's like 12 episodes. It's a lot of commitment. And I know that's ironic from someone who's, you know, marathoned all of Star Trek Next Generation and, or other like 2022 20, season episode shows before. But at this point in my life, I just can't yeah. do that. <laughs> you got stuff to do. I mean, come on. So how much North Korean and political stuff is in Crash Onto You? Uh, Crash Landing on You is what the series is called. Oh, and, but it's about someone who accidentally parasails into North Korea, and she's like this famous uh, executive from South Korea. So there is a bit of political stuff in there because his, like, the person who finds her and becomes her love interest is like the son of a high ranking general. And it's, it's interesting stuff. Sounds a little bit like Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> eh, with a lot more poverty. Yeah, not just to feel good. Yeah. Hey, drama. All right. So anyway, the spy gone north, shall we? In the mid-1990s, a loyal South Korean secret agent is caught in a political vortex plotted by the ruling classes of North and South Korea. Yep, that's right. And this is a spy movie. No question about it. This I mean, it's right there movie. in the title. <laughs> All right. So we start with a history lesson. Mm -hmm. North Korea and South Korea are divided. They don't get along. And then we get some text that says, this is the story of Black Venus. It may differ from real life. Thank you for establishing that. I think the wording was all characters and incidents have been fictionalized and may differ from real events. So that's the first. Actually, you know what? That's like the thing that's usually at the end of movies. All resembling to, to characters living or dead is entirely right. coincidental, even when it's not coincidental. Right? Like they have that in biography movies. I'm like, how does that make sense? What kind of legalese is that? Not blind but... to me, movie. Anyway, so we go into our title sequence. Yeah, and did you like the title sequence, how they had the two like models walking, and you're like, what's the deal with this? Yeah, I and was wondering about out later. that. Like, well, I was like, is this like, is there like some Korean propaganda going on? What's what? What is all of this? You see newspapers. You see Kim Jong Il and a guy Nuclear you don't blast. know. Right. Our first scene is rainy night in South Korea, and two spies are being arrested by the National Intelligence Service, or the NIS. Do we know that they're spies? I don't think we, that they're spies. I think they're just people. I thought that they were a spy, because why else would the NIS be arresting them? Uh, intimidation? <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. I think we learned that one of them later is a spy, and the other guy is the guy he was trying to recruit. Really? I... Did not get that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. By the way, this movie goes really fast, especially yeah, the beginning. <laughs> and it's kind of tough to follow. So they're arresting these two, and we get a voiceover from our main character, who I will call Park. His whole full name is Park Suk-young. Forgive me if I 
butchered that pronunciation. But yes, we will call him, they refer to him a lot as Mr. Park or sometimes Major Park. Okay, sounds good to me. So we get a voiceover from him about how he was recruited to become Black Venus. He erased his old self that he used to be in the military, but now he's pretending to be in debt so that he oh, no, he's actually recruited. in debt. Oh wait, he's actually in debt. Yeah, I thought he borrowed it was, money uh, from friends and like gambled and ruined his like he yeah he actually got debt and then ruined his credit. So I he thought that did was it. his cover. No, I mean he actually did this to himself. Oh, okay. to make his cover foolproof. So he is getting a mission from the NIS to extract a physicist named Kim Jong Hyuk. Kim Jong Hyuk, yeah. Okay, thank you. Because they believe that the North Koreans are developing nuclear weapons and this guy knows about it. Meanwhile, the NIS is interrogating the guy who was arrested earlier. They discover that his friend was a spy. The other guy was a spy. I don't think he was. So the guy who got arrested, Huang Byung-chul, yeah, I do not believe that he was a spy, but they claim that his friend was a spy and he could be just arrested just for knowing him, mm -hmm. which feels like it's an intimidation tactic to me. I wouldn't be surprised based on what we see of the NIS here. Yeah, because so what we find out here is that well, basically he knows his old professor is the professor that they're trying to get, you know, to come to South Korea to get information from him, uh, whose name is Professor, Ki we'll just call him Professor Kim. So Huang convinces Professor Kim to come for a symposium and to see him. Right. And at the symposium where there's lots of people there, and it's all really fancy. There's a fake false alarm of a fire alarm. And then it's revealed that the whole thing was fake. The NIS just set it up to lure him from the north. So the guy who is from NIS there is Director Choi, who we will see a lot through the rest of the movie. <laughs> He's very wearing a very conspicuous like earpiece with like the cable running down the back. I'm like, I guess you're really not hiding anything, are you? Well, which makes sense because this is all fake. Yeah, maybe he's hiding and pretending to be a security guard and not... He's the head of the NIS, right? Or uh, No. Is this director guy? Or am I thinking of someone no. else? That we meet someone, one of his higher-ups later. So, like, I thought, when because he's called director, I assumed he was the head. He's Park's, like, handler. He's, like, Park's, yeah. like, buddy. Yeah. What I liked about the fake symposium is, is, like, what we talked about night and day, where fictional spy agencies can do anything. <laughs> they can make anything happen. But fake symposiums was also, like, in Catcher was a spy. Yep, so yep. are making these parallels. And to be clear, the NIS... Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe you'll tell me more in Spy Fact vs. Fiction. Well, the NIS was not a fictional spy agency. It was a real agency. That's right. It was real. So they offer him money, and they offer him assistance with getting his children spots in South Korean universities, and it works. Well, so it's, and it's not even to get him to like come over to their side. They just want intel from him. Yes. Because we never see him again. I disagree. I you yeah. do see him again, actually. Do we? Yeah, but I will mention it okay. at the time. All right. Oh, God, All right. I hope it's the same guy. Please don't <laughs> say I'm racist if it's a different guy. All right, so going right. back to Park, they're like, here's your mission. You're going to infiltrate the North Korean elite. You're going to pose as a businessman to do it. And what did this remind you of? I don't know. What did it remind me of? A courier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. This movie reminded me a lot of our past movies, and The Courier was uh -huh. probably the biggest. Hmm, I can see that. Oh, actually, looking back at that now, yeah, I can definitely see that. So we get a legit spy montage where he's getting his gadgets, and he gets told, don't mess this up. So he's trying to infiltrate, yeah, like we said, the North Korean elite, specifically the External Economic Committee based in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And he needs to get in, in with their director, whose name is Director Ri Myung-ung. Wow, nice and... job getting everybody's names. Let's try. So they're in is an ethnic Korean who's from Japan, whose name is Kiyohara. Is this so the guy that he meets in the warehouse? Yeah, yeah. And immediately, like I was when I was watching it, because I, I took Japanese in high school. I, I don't remember a lot of it, but I can at least recognize the sound. So once I was watching, I was like, wait, that's not Korean. That's definitely Japanese. So kudos to them on actually, you know, having to speak in Japanese when he's a Japanese citizen who's ethnic Korean. Ooh, nice attention to detail. Though I imagine if it's in a Korean cinema, they probably would have subtitles at this part. 
Probably. I mean, they ha- for us, because we don't speak Korean, we had captions on for the whole thing. But yes, probably. Yeah, we had English captions. So this reminded me of another movie I watched called Barefoot Generation that I mentioned, which was about the atomic bombings in mm-hmm. Japan. Right. It's an anime made in like the 70s or something. But the part where the American bombers are flying, they have Americans talking English and they have Japanese subtitles like on the side of the mm-hmm. screen. Hmm. Interesting. Kiyohara, like, is there in... Well, it's not clear how he's affiliated with the EEC, but he is affiliated with them in some way. He's like trying mm-hmm. to sell park kids' toys. I think like counterfeit kids' toys, that, including these like toy guns that if you pull the trigger, it says some uh, North Korean propaganda. That's right. But after they part ways, after much deal making, Park is on his phone and Mark, he's like, I'm telling you, I want North Korean products. But as he's doing this, you see all these people's heads turning or listening. And it's like, okay, he's I mean, he's trying to get their attention and it's working. I know. Is it so funny how obvious it is? Or maybe it just (laughs) seems obvious to us because we know what's going on. Yeah. So the other thing that we kind of skipped over this, but director Troy, when he's briefing uh, Park, is -hmm. telling him that he's lost like a lot of agents in Beijing before. And there's like a montage of all these agents who like have been killed just like on the street and just bleeding out. I misread my notes. It says lost spy montage. I thought it said legit spy montage. (laughs) I mean, also that. Yeah, so good. I like that, though. It shows that it's scary. And also it helps establish where we are, because I didn't know where we were. Ah, Yes. (laughs) I thought we were still in South Korea. (laughs) So the other person who, besides Kiyohara, who could be an in with them, is that apparently there's an ethnic Chinese NIS agent who's in Beijing, whose name is Dr. Zhang. Yes, who they say is driven by profit. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, like Benedict Cumberbatch and Courier. <laughs> so we get a scene where he has listening devices. He has this pen device that is either like a suicide pill or a listening mm-hmm. device. No, it's not either. Uh, you got it flipped. That is a bug placed by the North Koreans in his hotel room. Oh, okay. And so, so it's not his pen. No. So, well, it is his pen, but they put a bug inside the pen. So he, when he goes back to his hotel room, he notices that his, like, the hairs that he's put on things have moved. What did this remind you of? 1984? No, Dr. No. Oh, yes, that's right. He does it in Dr. No, too. Yeah. Though in this movie, the hairs are really obvious, I guess, because it's still a movie. Dr. No, it was also really obvious. <laughs> No, I, I know, but this is supposed to be like real life, is, yeah. is the difference. I mean, a hair is a hair. Put it there, I don't know. But, no, I, that yeah, was cool. Ahead. I like that. Yeah. It was also like, oh, so real spies do this, and it's not just something that Ian Fleming made up. I remember, I think I've, I talked about it in when we did our episode on Dr. No. It was like, that, that's from the book, that him putting hairs on things and you know to make sure see if things have been moved so hey that's cool it definitely sounds like something that would happen in real life because it'd be pretty hard to see if you weren't actually looking for it mm-hmm. okay so he didn't used to do his business he wants to get chinese products labeled as north korean or is it vice versa no so what happens here is that uh, dr jung and director Choi uh, like start making calls tipping off the news that there's north korean products are being smuggled in or more actually that they're chinese goods that are being claimed as north korean and this is yeah. causing a lot of issues for people who are actually trying to get north korean products yeah so there's a scene where are they north koreans who get arrested by the chinese yes they're basically getting framed i believe mm-hmm. We learned the North Korean minister is under pressure to pay $250,000 to China to make this whole problem go away. Part of the reason why that they actually want to make this whole thing go away is because apparently the North Korean who's got arrested is someone's nephew of the higher ups. And so, of course, they won't need to be taken care of. Yeah. So like this is all in like the first half hour of the movie. So like I said, it moves pretty darn fast, yeah. at least at first. I did so, like the part where there's a Motorola phone, like a giant <laughs> Motorola phone. Mm-hmm. The f- giant flip phone, yep. So yeah, so they needed 250000 but the External Economic Council only has about a hundred k, So yes. not nearly enough. Which means they need to make money fast. So our boy Park gets the call he's been waiting for. From... Uh, been waiting for for six months, pretty much. Yeah, and he says, we need to meet right now. Yeah, so and it's, the person who calls him is Director Ree, who, as we said before, is the director of the EEC. Mm-hmm. And I like this. So when he gets the call and he says, we need to meet now, he gives him instructions where to go. This reminded me of that scene in The Matrix. Morpheus gives Neo the phone and is telling him, all right, duck now, go here, cross the street now. 
Go out the window. What? Go out the window? <laughs> I don't remember actually if he went out the window in the Matrix. But... He does, but he does not go around the corner to get like take the scaffolding down. Yeah, this is true spy stuff here. He gets searched when he arrives. Mm-hmm. But then Director Ree stops them. Is like, no, this is our guest. What are you doing? <laughs> so basically, Director Ree is like, we need money, but also... We know you. We know that you used to be a South Korean intelligence guy. So we want to get info from you. We'll get info. You get money. We get money. Everybody wins except for the South Korean government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he agrees to that and he goes to Director Choi to, you know, get some intel he's allowed to give them. And apparently what he gives them is pretty commonly known intel and then also gives them this really good fake Rolex. Yeah, the fake Rolexes are such a or would you call them a motif in this movie? Is that too highbrow, or do they just keep showing up? I would say a recurring element. There you go. Yeah. I did but... like the passing of this, not not disinformation, real information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's an interesting thing that they do this in movies where you have to have a balance between something that's not too damaging versus something that won't let them clue in that's like, oh, we're being played I mean, here. That's not just in movies, I feel like. I feel like in real life, when uh-huh. you have a mole, you have there's a decision of how how much you know can you pass on if you're trying mm-hmm. to you know establish your bona fides. Yes, exactly. So he does in fact give them money and information. This is the part where he has the big blocks of cash. And he's just pulling mm-hmm. them out of the out yep, of the bag. Yep. And the state security guy is here. Yes, Comrade Jung. Yeah, who Jung, like all <laughs> right, like all state security guys in movies is like a huge jerk. <laughs> He's also really young. He was much long, younger than I was expecting for someone who's supposed to be from like state security. Well, like we discussed in Pearl Harbor last time, military people are usually younger than they are depicted in movies. Now, admittedly, that's supposed to be like frontline soldiers and not yeah. heads of security. Also, he's Asian, so like, how can you even tell how old he is? Uh, I mean, as an Asian... No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Well, okay, he so, just seemed young to me. Yeah. Basically, he's like, this is gossip information. He's not telling us anything new. So mm-hmm. we're not interested. So Park does this big old dramatic acting thing where he's like, you don't want my help? Okay, fine. I am out of here. So what did this remind you of? I don't know. What did it remind me of? A spy who came in from the cold. Right. We've covered a lot of movies, haven't we? <laughs> I know. Well, this movie is like a big amalgamation of a lot of different, West, I guess, Western movies, since we don't have much to compare them with. Yep. But what jumped out to me here was that it's like, oh, if you want someone to betray their country, it's not going to be like a stable person who does mm. that. It right. is going to be someone who's emotionally unbalanced, maybe. And like his backstory, right? He's in debt. He's mm-hmm. just struggling to survive, make a living. So his reaction made sense. Right, right. But then after storming out, he realizes that he got him. They call him back and they're like, okay, let's meet again. Again, like in the corridor where it's all about setting up meetings. Mm-hmm. I like this part. So as the you know mission is going on, we get a lot of flashbacks of Park meeting with Director Choi and saying, all right, you need to do this, you need to do that. So at this point, he's like, all right, you need to record their voices. So he grabs a tape recorder. We see him like give this bag to the reception desk at the hotel. And, of course, we assume that the tape recorder is in there or something. So when he goes into the dinner, he meets with everyone. They search him. They search him and they don't find it. So you're mm-hmm. like, huh? What's okay. going well, on? I mean, I just assumed it was in the bag that he oh, gave really? to reception. Yeah. Yeah, that that's fine. <laughs> he also hits on the female security agent there, much right. like in Snake Eyes, a movie that we saw recently. <laughs> There's more spy who come in from the cold vibes here where they're mm. trying to get him and he doesn't seem too stable. Comrade Jung pulls a gun on him like in the restaurant because he like insults mm. him and gets him riled up. Yeah, they, Which, they get in each yeah. other's face, mm-hmm. so to speak. Park says, oh, I'm sorry, I should have controlled my temper. Let me go get some fresh air. He goes to the bathroom and grabs a tape recorder from the tank of a toilet, which he set up previously, which we didn't know about. So that's, that's so right. I, saw, I was like, ooh. Okay, so what's in the bag that he left at reception? Well, we'll find out. Yeah, so he (laughs) puts the uh, tape recorder in his sock. Someone is watching him in the bathroom, and like Mm -hmm. they report, like the suspicious activity reported. And so he goes over, grabs the bag from the reception desk, and as he does so, Comrade Jung sends over his goons to like search him. And as it's going on, he tries. He causes a scene. Yes. Uh, as he's doing so, the bag that he grabbed from reception drops, and these boxes with three Rolexes come out of the bag. 
Mm-hmm. And this North Korean guy who I guess was at the dinner, Which but one? I didn't remember him. I don't remember his name, but he was just a guy yeah. who was like, you brought us Rolexes. You're the greatest. I That's love you. That's Director Oh, it is? Yeah. I thought it was a different guy, but no, Dr. Reed likes him too. Director, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Apologizes and Comrade Jung is disgraced. <laughs> the way to a man's heart is through his wrist, I suppose. Uh, I mean, hey, nice watch I, is a nice watch. I also like the part where he's making a scene in the hotel is where we get to see white people in the movie. Very huh. rarely. Very briefly. Is, they're There's like, like the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, uh, what do we do along with everybody else? The whole part with the tape recorder and the tank seemed very Hollywood, but it also could work. Like, it makes sense to me that the North Koreans would not follow him like into the bathroom because they weren't expecting him to come out like that. But I like that it was a double bluff, basically. He had a plan of how to make it work. They recruit him to sell North Korean artifacts. I guess that's like his first job. So Director Ree gives Park the lowdown that the EEC isn't doing well, so they can't do his preferred business. But we, we never really actually find out what like the business he picked to be. Park gives suggestions about, oh, what about zinc or other materials to get him close to, you know, where mining is happening, which is close to where the nuclear facilities are. Yep. And gives him the antique to sell, which we find out is a fake. Yeah, classic North Koreans. Sounds right. Well, it's not just a fake, though, but it's a test, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, all right, if the, if he gives him the real money that or gives him the money that's actually worth, then the North Koreans will know that he's got someone behind him. But if he tells him it's a fake, he could insult them. So it's a careful balance of, all right, what does he do in this situation? But how would they know someone's behind him if he came up with the money for it? Well, like they're like, it's worth less than we say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember that now. I do feel like they trusted him a little bit fast. Mm, I mean, but, but I guess they're desperate. They need yeah. money, so they're mm-hmm. happy to get him. Also, something interesting in this movie, I don't claim to be like a Korea expert. Okay. But I guess back in the 90s, there was a lot more people going back and forth between the border, between North and South Korea. Why do you say that? Well, isn't there a part where he uses a train later to go between countries and they're like trading stuff? No. Importing, exporting, no? Am I thinking of the wrong thing? So a lot of stuff here happens in Beijing. He doesn't go to North Korea for a while. Okay, so I guess it's not so much that they cross the border, it's that there are relations between North Koreans and South Koreans, even if they have to use middle. I mean, they they just happened on neutral territory, yes. Uh, Okay. So they come up with this plan to shoot advertisements in North Korea, which reminded me of Argo. Mm Mm-hmm. And in order to accomplish this, they start by having Park pretend to be an ad guy's neighbor and let's... The ad guy come up with the idea. Yeah, the ad guy whose name is Hang Jun Chu. He's an independent producer and like has he it's apparently it's not even like their idea. He had this idea already, but he just has no way to actually make it happen. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Isn't that a thing in like persuasion or advertising or negotiation where you Mm -hmm. let the person you're trying to convince think that it was their idea? That is a thing, but they actually found this guy, and it was his idea. He's had this idea for years, apparently, and so Mm -hmm. they basically just give him the push to actually make it happen. So the interesting thing I thought was when Park is discussing this with Director Choi, he mentions offhand that they need CIA approval. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Why? I guess because the CIA is heavily involved with South Korean intelligence. I guess so. That was caught my attention. The campaign will be a cover to sort of check on all the nuclear facilities. Theoretically, at least. But this is sort of what I was talking about of like North Korean, South Korean relations. Like I can't imagine in 2021 a group of South Koreans going around to shoot advertisements in North Korea. Well, as we and they say this later in um, the movie that this is the first any collaboration of any sort between the North and the South. If it if it happens, which, you know, obviously it will in some form. But we'll get to that. Yeah, I just needed our hero to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, this guy named Kim Dae-jung is doing well in the South Korean elections and the NIS is unhappy and they want it to stop, mm-hmm. which is actually what the movie is going to be about. Yeah. <laughs> as it yeah out. Right. So, yeah, so this is what I, why I said that he's not, he's apparently the NIS service chief or one person who director Choi meets with about, what was the name of the, of the democratic candidate? Kim Dae-jung, just to okay. say Kim. Yeah. Another Kim. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, Director Troy meets with his boss, who's the NIS service chief, uh, mm-hmm. about 
Democratic candidate, and he's like demanding to know like why is this communist leader gaining? Or he calls him like a communist, basically, and saying mm-hmm. why is he gaining popularity? And he says that operations are good, but you need to focus at home. Don't worry too much about that nuclear weapon powered dictatorship right on your border. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. <laughs> a guy we don't like might win the election. That's way worse. Hmm. The North Koreans meet with Park again at the same hotel. They really save money on sets here. <laughs> but this time, it's near a nightclub. So while they're talking about the ad ideas, at one point, they tell the security guy, go dance. And he actually goes and dances. Yeah. Well, so jumping back just a little bit, Director Choi goes back to his office and grabs a file on Dr. Jung. And that'll become important later. Yeah, see, that Dr. Jung keeps coming back. Well, for now. For now, yes. The party, it's like, uh-huh. it's very hopping. And I'm just like, wow, oh, this is not where, especially, like, I thought it was going to be he was, you know, um, Park had brought the ad guy to this to sort of sell him on the idea. But no, this is just where Park is meeting with uh, the EEC people. And I'm like, really? Well, it's kind of like how in every gangster movie, there needs to be at least one meeting in a strip club. <laughs> it's just, that's yeah. what you do. Uh-huh. So we find out that the EEC and the director Ree can't decide this by themselves. They have to take it to higher up to Pyongyang. And so Director right. Ri says, you know, I'll be there. You'll get word back in three days. And this is where we get Park giving Director Ri the cash for the fake antique. He has this whole briefcase and then he opens it up. And it's like only like the very middle is cash and the rest is of his other stuff. And we find that it's apparently medicine that you can't get in North Korea. So he rather than completely insulting him by saying that, oh, that's a fake, yet mm-hmm. you see, you know, save face a, makes a joke about, oh, was that a fake antique to get back at me for giving you a fake watch? Hmm. I guess as long as we pretend that we both are on the up and up, everything yeah. will be fine. Mm-hmm. It's also legit how he's like, I'm just going to give you money. I'm going to throw together a bunch of things that are worth about the same. It felt more real. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. So meanwhile, some North Korean army guys are firing mortars. Across the border. Yeah, into the DMZ. So don't say there aren't no explosions in this movie, because there are. (laughs) And Park calls the director from the bathroom with the steam going and and the sound to avoid Mm -hmm. detection. And we get more election meddling stuff. Uh, Park asks Director Choi if this is going to affect the deal because all this mobilization, like the South uh, is mobilizing their army army there at... uh, not DEFCON 2, but WatchCon 2. Yeah, it's totally different from DEFCON 2 because it's <laughs> South Korea. And then meanwhile, a Korean-Chinese man died suspiciously. Dr. Zhang. That's that's right. Yeah. Okay. I, in that case, when I said Dr. Zhang was going to come back, I was thinking that's of someone I else. That's why I joked that he was... Uh, okay. <laughs> I said, you said, he'll be, he kept peace popping. I was like, yeah, for a while, for, but not very long. <laughs> Director Choi also meets with his higher-up, who congratulates him, and we find out that the Democratic Party lost a general election. Mm-hmm. And this is where he tells him to wrap things up to make sure there's no loose ends. So this is the implication that Director Choi had Dr. Zhang killed. Right. Again, for election reasons. So the implication here is that Dr. Zhang was responsible for getting the North Koreans to fire those mortars into the DMZ to affect the election results to get more people to vote for the Democrat or against the Democratic Party there. Right. So Dr. Jung was North Korean? He was an NIS agent embedded in North Korea. Oh, okay. And they killed him to cover it up? Mm -hmm. You know, say what you will about the CIA, according to books like Legacy of Ashes, that they do this stuff, but at least they do it in other people's countries, not our own. (laughs) So Director Rhee calls... Park, he says, come to Pyongyang. It's finally time to go north. And not just north, he's going to actually meet with Kim Jong-il. That's right. So I couldn't wait to see how they were going to depict North Korea in this movie. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's oppressive. Like, there's oppressive music. Everything's Mm -hmm. gray, except for the big golden statue of Kim Jong-il. Just like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so when he gets there, he gets, like, his blood drawn. He's told there's a health check. And also there there might be rolling blackouts because of the loss of power. Mm -hmm. And after he withdraws all the blood, Park passes out. Yes. And it turns out he's actually going to be interrogated by the security guy. Yeah, by uh, Comrade Jung. Yes. And he says, I work for the... Doesn't he say something like, I work for the South Korean Defense Agency, National no, Intelligence No, so he Service. like interrogates him as he's like very groggy. And right. um, Jung is re- recording everything on this tiny tape recorder and asks her, you know, is it your name? 
your, your name, your organization. And he says, you know, M- Major Park, South mm-hmm. Korean Defense Agency. Yes. And so, so at that like, point, you think, uh-oh, is he, is he uh-huh. cut? Yeah, I was thinking, oh, but I was also like, well, this is why they have a former intelligence guy. Because it's known that he's former intelligence. Exactly. It's, not, it's not a lie to so say that. That's why it, in the beginning, it wasn't just a cover that he like ruined his finance and everything. He literally did it. So to make it foolproof. Yeah. Right. Again, like Spy came in from the cold. He wakes up and he's on like a ferry now and he's blindfolded. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And he's like about to get executed by Comrade. What was his name? Comrade Jung. Mm-hmm. But then he keeps recording. Or keeps playing the recording. He, he keeps yeah. playing the recording back. And he's like, yeah, I'm a businessman. I totally am. No, what I liked here was, and it might be one of my favorite quotes, is mm-hmm. he's asked, why are you actually here? He's like, I came yeah. here under order of my superiors. And then he says, who's your superior? Well, well, he pauses it. And then Jung has Park at gunpoint. And he's yeah. saying, I know I didn't like you and all that. And tries to threaten him. And then once he doesn't break, he plays the rest of it and said, you know, who's the superior of a businessman? Money. People who have money. <laughs> Dollar sign. That's yes. what Stefan Cochran wants. Yeah. yeah, that part was really good. But doesn't he have a pen here? I still so, remember yeah. that he has a pen. He has a pen up his sleeve. And we had a little flashback. Basically, he gets the uh, <laughs> the Mission Impossible. If you were any member of your IM force, be caught or killed, the secretary would deny all knowledge of reactions. <laughs> yeah, you know, the usual. <laughs> yeah. Director Choi also gave him this cyanide pen, basically. Okay. So that's oh, why so he has the pen. They actually say it's a cyanide pen, or they just. It's the implication. It? Oh, yeah. okay. He's, yeah, that he says something to the effect of if you get caught, it's your decision what to do, and then gives him this pen. <laughs> yeah, so this is like classic spy stuff where. Just by the seat of his pants, he barely makes it through and doesn't have to kill himself, which mm. would have ended the movie pretty fast. Yeah. All right. So back in Pyongyang, time to meet with Kim. So we see this painting of Kim's family. Mm-hmm. First thing we see of Kim is his dog. Yeah. <laughs> this tiny little white da- dog with like super long hair. Mm-hmm. It's a look. I mean, some people like it. It looked like there's an episode of Star Trek where there's an animal who's clearly a dog in a costume. Do you know what I'm talking about? Was it which series? DOS, DOS, yeah. No, but it has like a unicorn that. horn, but it's clearly just a dog. It, but <laughs> it has like all that long hair, and then like stuck a unicorn ha- horn on it. And I was like, it looks like that TOS dog, except without the unicorn horn. <laughs> yeah, what did you think of him with the dog? How it's like Blofeld and the cat? I didn't even think about that actually. Uh, well, he doesn't right. like sit there and stroke no, it the whole yeah. time. But yeah, I could see that. Yeah. The funny thing is, Kim Jong Il was a huge James Bond fan. Yes, that's right. <laughs> So, who knows? Maybe he was inspired. So we meet Kim, and I noticed that he has a bunch of female soldiers basically serving them as waitresses. Yep. I do like how in a police state, like, even the waiters have to be part of the military. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think of the depiction of Kim Jong-il in this movie? I thought it was fine. I mean, it seemed... I mean, I don't know too much about Kim Jong-il, other than what I've seen on the news, you know, from Mm -hmm. that era. So... It seemed like an accurate portrayal. It didn't seem like, because, you know, there's other movies like, uh, what was that one with uh, Seth? The Interview? Yeah, which I've never seen, but I know that the portrayal is over the top of Kim Jong-un. Right. He's very easy to caricature, these North Korean guys. Right. But it didn't seem like an over-the-top caricature, which was like, okay, sure. He reminded or... me a little bit of Jabba the Hutt, and it's not because he's overweight. That's not why. <laughs> okay. It's because he's, like, quietly menacing. Hmm. Okay. All right. That's, that's and fair. And he becomes more menacing later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they talk business. Park is like, we want to scout some locations. We can make a tourist hotel for you. You can make all this money. Potentially $12 million. Mm-hmm. Kim agrees. Yep. So their meeting makes the news. Mm-hmm. I guess it's public knowledge. And he has a rooftop meeting with his boss. Mm-hmm. Park does. Park needs to go to determine if the Yongbyong reactor is active or not. So mm-hmm. he needs to find an excuse to go over there. And it tries to get approval to go to an area near there, but it's been not denied by Director Ree. That's right. So next he tries Comrade Jung. <laughs> And claims that like there are rare undiscovered tombs near that area. If they get those, they can you know sell even more antiquities and get more money for them. Yeah, the alternative title for this movie is Tomb Raider. <laughs> but I actually thought this was pretty smart because I was like, yeah. okay, wait, wait, this is like a police state. If you do something without permission, 
you're dead. Mm -hmm. But how do you get permission? Well, the answer is you go around the people who are denying you permission. <laughs> yeah, appeal to their baser instincts of him just wanting to make more money. Yeah, there are, sure are a lot of capitalists in this communist. Which is North funny to me because he always like insults him about being an ideal capitalist. Like Jung always insults Park about being an ideal capitalist. But the thing that does him in later on is money. Yeah, sooner or later, it always wins. <laughs> I don't th really think it's a political movie per se, but yeah. it's just the reality. They say you have to get within 10 kilometers of the reactor, and then I guess you can like use a measuring device or something. Yeah, your or something. Yeah. yeah, they didn't really explain that. Well, uh, so also there are people who work at the facility, researchers who can get, pass along information. I like the part where Karma Jong says, I know what I'll do. I'll just issue an order. If I, <laughs> if I can do that. Yep. Okay, so they arrive, and Comrade Zhang is like, my agents aren't going to join you because we have something else to do. Party matters. Yeah, which seemed like a lie, mm. because I was like, it's established later that they still don't trust him because they give him a badge that has a listening device. Right. But then why not have agents follow him around? I guess to see if he can, like, hang himself. Maybe, or they just don't want to be around all these dead bodies. That's also a good reason, but also maybe it's like lure him into a false sense of security. So that he can. Maybe. So he's told to stay with General Rhee and Comrade Kim, who apparently works. He's, we don't find out too much about Comrade Kim before we find out that he is the uh, person on the inside. See, I thought Comrade Kim here was Dr. Jung. Nope. Because I was like, okay, he's getting near the reactor. So Dr. Jung comes to meet him. It all makes sense. But <laughs> nope. uh, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> But yeah, as you said, Director Reed gives Kim a Communist Party pin, and mm -hmm. but of course, it's a listening device. Like I said, there's all these dead bodies are piled up, and mm -hmm. yeah, Comrade Kim says that you know these researchers, you know, will want to meet with you and all all this sort of stuff. And we see that Ree is listening in it like a listening device or on headphones inside the car, and. Yeah. Park realized very quickly that no, this thing is a listening device. And what? And so he like makes denials. Like, what are you talking? What the denied area? I want to move here quickly and to find the tombs. Let's not waste any time. So he yeah. kind of tries to cover it up. I doesn't. I don't feel like that. That was enough. You weren't really convinced. This part no. was scary. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about this dialogue, though. It really seemed like he was about to get caught. Yeah. Because. Like you, I didn't find his recovery to be especially convincing. But I should say, during this part, they're like basically standing next to like a mass grave. Yeah. Except it's not even a grave because it's not even below ground. It's just a pile of dead bodies. Did they explain what all these people died from? Was it just starvation because it's North Korea? Probably, or maybe radiation poisoning. Ooh, yeah, that's possible. And then also, you had kids eating parts of the dead bodies. Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't don't know whether see you, that. Oh. I don't know whether you didn't want to mention that, but there's a part where it looks like they're eating like meat off of a bone. I did not see off. that. I, I, maybe I just blocked that out. Yeesh. Uh, okay. But yeah, I, I was glad to see a little bit of the real North Korea, not just the golden statues. All right. So moving on, Park so, meets Dr. Kim's family. Oh, sorry, it's Director E's family. And I like the music around this part. Mm-hmm. Comrade Kim has been reassigned to Vladivostok. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. He meets with Director Kim, or he meets with Director Ree because Kim got disappeared. Director Ree tells him, we're all in danger. Yep, and he's like, at this point, I'm not going to question if you're a businessman or not, but just mm -hmm. know that, you know, we're all in grave danger, so don't do anything stupid. <laughs> yeah, so this was interesting that Director Ree is trying to suspect, probably due to that recorded conversation, that yeah. Park is a spy, but he's also kind of like, well, we're like too far invested. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting idea. Well, it's I also think... because he mentions that this is like, and I talked about it earlier, it's the first collaboration of any sort between mm -hmm. the North and the South. Right. Well, ultimately, Director Rhee, along with everyone else, is self-interested. I think mm -hmm. he thinks if he blows the whistle and is like, oh, it turns out Park actually is a spy, Director Rhee's going to go down for not seeing him sooner. I mean, he probably would, yeah. Yeah, which is another problem of these <laughs> like police states which mm -hmm. is everyone's so afraid of the higher-ups that they make bad decisions. Yeah. All right, so meanwhile, the election is still going on. I was a little unclear, because uh, they said that they won the general election, so maybe they could do a little more research into it, I suppose. Is there a separate like election for all the candidates, and then one for the president? Or if that was like a where here, we they call it the general election for mm -hmm. the first one. Well, in doing Spy Fact versus Fiction Research, I found that there was a parliamentary election in yeah, 1996. Okay. That's, that's it, okay. 
Yeah, it's yeah. probably like how we do Congress every two years or whatever. Yeah. The NIS boss is still focused on these returns and is yeah. still like, we need to stop this guy from getting votes. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, he's also self-interested, kind of like Director Ray, because he's right. like, if this guy wins, we're going to get shut down and be out of a job. Mm-hmm. They also say at one point that all human, and they actually use the term human. Human, yeah, I like that. Yeah, all human is gone except for Park. So they need to use him for this plan. Yeah, to get a message across, basically. Mm-hmm. Director Troy meets with Park and gives him the letter, says like it's sealed, chemically treated and sealed, so we'll know if you open it, don't open it. Um, mm-hmm. Park protests like, all right, you know, this is going to blow my cover. And also, I don't want to be involved with interfering in elections. Yeah, that's a little bit unfortunate for them that they're one asset. They basically need him to be cool with this. <laughs> right. So he gives the letter to Director Rhee and they set up mm-hmm. in a meeting in the hotel in Beijing, the Millennium Hotel. That's right. And he's trying to snoop around. So he cons his way into getting to Director Ree's room. Yeah, this is like the best spy part of the movie. If you like <laughs> you like gadgets and narrow escapes and quick talking. This is the highlight. Yeah, so he plants a bug and also plants a, something in the fax machine. Remember those? Uh-huh. As he's doing so, he nearly sees director Troy and also just barely gets out of the room by having like they're like knocking on the door saying you know Mr. Park please open the door all that and he fakes that he was in the bathroom and couldn't hear them I feel like if it were an American movie he would have been like can a man take a dump in peace or something like that so then Uh, before he leaves he has another pen this guy in his trick pens yeah he leaves a pen like stuffed in right in between the sleep cushions yeah which I'm like wouldn't they just find that later and then the whole thing would fall apart not necessarily, because they could just blame it on the South Koreans who were just there. Oh, uh, yeah. Or literally anyone else. Yeah. His boss arrives. Mm-hmm. Like we said, there are South Koreans there. And his boss meets with Director Ray. And the bug reveals the whole thing. Our boy is listening, and he hears the whole plan. Yeah, so they're asking for some sort of military action to scare the population, remind them the, the boogeyman of North Korea is out there. And maybe they don't want someone who might be a communist leading their country. That's right. And so they like even mention, what about a nuclear strike? And one of the, oh, I think it was either Director Rhee or Comrade Jung is like, don't joke about such an important meeting. So <laughs> it's like, all right, is are they trying to even just get information if there is nuclear stuff? Just a added bonus. Well, yeah, they still don't know if they have nuclear weapons yeah. yet. You know, this goes to show that they're spies. They're always trying to get some kind yeah. of advantage. Park is listening to all of this, and Director Choi says that any sort of nuclear reveal would hurt both sides, so some sort of mm-hmm. missile strike would work better. Yes, what they call a substantive strike. Yeah. Director Rhee is hesitant. He's worried that there was freeze the relations and, you know, shut down the advertising project as well as the, the uh, antiquities sale. Yeah, it's like, no kidding, dude. Of course it's going to freeze relations. That's like the whole point. Mm-hmm. And, but he doesn't want that to happen. But Jung, yeah. on the other hand, is you know wants to sort of rattle the saber and says, you know what, we answered Pyongyang and the party, so why not just send the request and we'll do what they say? I mean, yeah, it's a police state, so it's going to be up to them regardless. So they fax the proposal, and yeah. that's where the bug on the fax comes in. Yeah, and so Park also gets a copy of the fax. Oh, he is just the man. He's like way ahead of everybody all the time. Yeah, this is where we get the reveal that contrary to what you would think, the North doesn't want the uh, Democratic leader to win because they need an enemy in the South to survive. If they can't criticize the South, they have no power. They have no boogeyman to scare the population. Wow. Talk about a mutually beneficial parasitical relationship. Right. Maybe this movie is political after all. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I mean, like, for current events. Oh! (laughs) Not a movie about politics. I'm aware that it's a movie about politics. (laughs) All right, I just had had to clarify. So, of course, the idea that governments use external forces to shore up their own base is not new. It's probably going to remain the case for the Mm -hmm. rest of human history, I imagine. They find out that the party has approved the plan, so they're all toasting. (laughs) The The South Koreans are toasting North Korea and, like, and Kim Jong-il. Yeah, they're having a grand old time. And yeah. South Koreans are happy about it, too. Everybody wins. Yeah. Except for the people of the various countries. The people who want <laughs> a legitimate election. Right, them too. Park goes and confronts his old boss. I like this. Like, it's, it's, it's the classic, you know, the room is dark, and they're uh-huh. coming into the room and turn on the lights, and they're there 
you know, in the shadows. Yeah, the director basically does the whole you need me on that wall speech. <laughs> right, for um, a few good men, yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so he's like, the communists don't want a communist. Why? That's what he said. Because you need that boogeyman. You need someone mm-hmm. to scare the population. Otherwise, yeah. you have no power. Yeah, meanwhile, Director Rhee is like, three million people are dying out in the fields of North Korea. Yeah. Directory and Park meet. We find that the troops are already moving. They can't really stop it. But Park says, all right, there's one thing we can do. One last venture. Will you take it with me? Yeah. One last Hail Mary pass. And that yep. Hail Mary pass is Kim Jong-il. Yep. <laughs> okay, so they go and meet with him. And Park really has some balls here because he tells yeah. Kim that you're being used by your underlings. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not even by your underlings. I guess he would consider the South his underlings, but yes, by the South. <laughs> well, yeah, by his own underlings and by the South. Yeah. And or this reminds me of the part in Superman 2 when General Zod says, why do you say these things to me when you know that I will kill you for it? <laughs> he also says that the whole ad campaign is yeah. off if the South Korean cam But not just that, but the, also the antiquities sale, which would net them who knows how many millions. Yeah, security chief John comes in and basically throws Park under the bus, yeah. as well as Director Ray. Yeah, and also Director Ray says that what if mm-hmm. we do all this stuff, but the Democratic candidate still wins? This action mm-hmm. could have the exact opposite effect of what you want. You mean the military action? Yeah, probably? Yeah. 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 He brings in Jung to counter, uh-huh. but then Park reveals that someone skimmed 400k from the deal. That it was originally uh-huh. supposed to be a four million dollar, but then he was told it was only three point six. <laughs> so it's like mutual throwing people under the bus. Yeah. I guess John did it first, followed by Park, which leads to a, a very sad scene of a lot of butt kissing by John. <laughs> but, but eventually, yeah. eventually Kim agrees to cancel the action, and everyone and says that all deals are on hold. Yes. All deals with the South are on hold, and re go investigate. Troy hears that there's no military action from the North. Oh, yes. And so he's like, are you sure? Keep checking. <laughs> Keep looking. What do you mean there's no military actions? I made sure there would be some. Oh, wait. I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> and then it's election night. And I do like how they have... This is so American. <laughs> yeah, with like numbers kind of, and they're like, he wins! Ta-da! <laughs> Uh, if only. As opposed to in the U.S., of course, where it's like state by state and it takes hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even days, depending yep. on which election it is. Right, right. But yeah, so yeah. as the election's going on, we see all the different people watching the news. We uh-huh. see Director Choi has got like drinking a whiskey as as this thing is <laughs> happening. Yeah, but once it's announced, people are talking about like, are the Koreas going to reunify? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, this guy, maybe he is a radical. Yeah. I don't know. So... Park meets with Ree at his home. Uh-huh. He sees his family again and gives him a gift. And at this moment, I thought it was going to be the pen which had a bug in it. Oh, like the same one from before? The one that he stuck in the couch cushion is like, I know you did that. Oh, I thought it was a nail clipper with uh, the thing written on it. Yeah, but it is a tie clip. Yes. And on the, like, on the back of it, it's in, in Korean, it says, a man of audacious spirit. And that is 100% accurate. Yeah, and so they... You know, he invites him to have a drink and park, you know, now thinking that, yeah, all right, everything's going well. says, you're not sure. I'll have a drink. And they toast the ad campaign. It's like, what more could change? This is like the ending of a season of Mad Men. It's like, just when you think their advertisements are about to go great, everything falls apart. And that is the first of the Return of the King syndrome here of the many endings. I kept thinking it was going to end. And nope, there's still more. Definitely the first ending is when he's on the train. And the train like goes into the tunnel, and well, you think the credits are going to We're roll. not there yet, though. I thought this was going to be the end. But oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So we get to Director Choi, who's meeting with some members of the former ruling party. Mm-hmm. And they want to know who else knew about this plan. Well, it was us, the other government officials there, and our one agent, Black Venus. Who cannot right. be trusted. Yeah. So they burn him. But they make it look like a rival company did it. Yep. So they send this tip off to the news, and they make claims that he gave away military secrets. Which is technically true. Yeah. So yeah, all these papers go out, and Park has no idea Mm -hmm. as of yet. So he's in his hotel room, he's shaving, and Ree comes, brings the paper to Park, and then pulls a gun on him. Yes. He's like, are you Black Venus? And they talk about it. 
I think he makes an offer to defect. Yeah, he says, you know, if you defect, I'll guarantee your safety and your family's safety. Park is like, no, just like you have only one motherland, I have only one motherland. And like, so Director Reeve, you know, points the gun at his head. Park is just like, protect my family, please. Yeah, he's like ready to die. But Ree is like, I'll give you an ID and you can escape. This is like the courier where, uh, oh my gosh, this became a bromance movie and you weren't even paying attention. Yeah, I didn't even, I mean, <laughs> well, I got that sense once he gave him the type ah. clip. I was like, okay, they're friends. All right. And yeah. also when they go through that whole thing, de- deceiving Kim Jong-il and tricking him. It's like, right. that forms a bond right there. Mm-hmm. So it looks like Ree is going to be killed. Yeah, so, well... So the, he tells them that, you know, the party doesn't know yet, but they will within an hour. So no, but so if you leave right now, no one will prevent you from leaving. And yeah, he gives mm-hmm. him an ID and a gun. And he's like, are, are, what's going to happen to you? He's like, well, I'm, I am the only one who basically knows capitalist systems and to, how to make the money work. So that I'm too important to kill. Mm-hmm. So Park goes on a train to get out of Pyongyang. Yeah, finally uh, like, the train scene that I've been talking about. I like the part where he gives his ID to the soldier and the soldier salutes him. The ID says, identity certified by Kim Jong-il. It's like, what? Kim Jong-il actually stamped that. (laughs) How would they know? Meanwhile, back in South Korea, the NIS is under investigation. Mm -hmm. The director is arrested and the NIS was reorganized. Yep. I wondered why. I guess because they were no longer trustworthy. I mean, yes, if you're trying to overthrow the government effectively, Yeah. yeah. But meanwhile, the advertisement campaign is still happening despite mm-hmm. all of this trauma. Mm-hmm. There's like some families that are that had been yeah. separated who got reunited, which yeah. is nice. And then we have the two models meeting, like from in the, the very opening beginning credit. of the title. Yeah, credits. Yeah. Yeah, it's a so, model from South Korea and a model from North Korea, and it's interesting how the South Korean run effectively dresses like an American. I think it's safe to say, mm-hmm. or a Western style. Sure. Is that more reasonable? Yeah. I don't really have too much to say about that, except we see in the background, Ree is there. Yep. This was interesting to me because I thought it was just going to be... Well, first of all, it was interesting that Park was still working with that ad guy. He has got to make a living. Yeah, but he was like completely burned. That's true. Do you think he'd still be able to go to North Korea without actually being a spy? I Presumably, yes. Well, he's still a businessman. It is a little bit strange. Yeah. Well, I assume that this also didn't happen in North Korea, this meeting. But still, it was weird that he was still working with the guy, with the ad guy. Yeah. And the way they frame this, too, is just like, all right, eyes meeting across the room and all that <laughs> stuff. I like uh, Ree, when he sees him, like, they don't speak. Or they don't wave. He just sort of, like, pushes up his glasses and shows that he's still wearing the Rolex. Yeah. And then Park and, holds up his tie. Yeah, his tie clip. And I was like, aww. Tears. I think someone sheds a single manly tear <laughs> for their bromance. Cuts, cuts to a wide shot where as the two models are meeting, you see the two of them and then everyone else leaves and they walk mm. to up to each other but fade to black so we don't get to see their meeting. Yeah, we never know what they say. And then finally it says, in June 2010, Park was arrested and he served six years for passing classified information. And that is the spy gone north. Yeah. All right, ready for some spy fact versus fiction? Sure, yeah. Okay, so my sources are, there's a Wire article that was reprinted in many places, including Yahoo, called Meet Black Venus, the South Korean spy who met Kim Jong-il. And also, mm-hmm. Seven Astonishing Stories from the Double Agent Who Met Kim Jong-il, by Subin Kim, writing in The Dissolve. Hey, did you know that he met Kim Jong-il? <laughs> and then finally, Korean Cloak and Dagger Case Might Be Unparalleled in Scope, by Michael A. Lev for the Chicago Tribune. Okay. The most notable mistake, I guess, is that when Park joined the South Spy Agency in 1995, it was known as the Agency for National Security Planning. Okay. Very boring name. After the scandal, then it became the NIS. Uh-huh. So it's vice versa. Interesting. Yeah. Unlike Northern agents who are sent South, he did not have a suicide pill or a poison pen. Okay. Yeah, they didn't give him anything. Instead, he explained, quote, we were trained to kill ourselves with our own fingers oh. using critical points in the body. Oh, God. Now that I would have liked to have seen. Mm. Before meeting Kim Jong-il, he was told to stay up late, shower, and dress neatly. And here's the craziest part. Okay. okay? I cannot believe this is not in the movie. He met Kim while hiding a micro recorder in his genitalia. Okay. Now that sacrifice. What do you want me to say to this? I don't know. Some kind of reaction. I mean, that was that was my reaction. Okay. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
Park said he was actually relieved when he met Kim Jong-il rather than nervous because the fact that he was in the same room with Kim meant that the North completely trusted him. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. That's a really positive way of looking at it, dude. Good for you. 1997 presidential election. Three supporters of conservative candidate asked the North Koreans to mount an armed attack. That's correct. But he didn't like wiretap anybody. The North Koreans just went up to him and told him what was going on. Hmm. They also they also did an incursion before the 1996 parliamentary elections like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Also in 1987, South Korean agents blew up a South Korean jumbo jet. Oh, which I did not know about. 115 uh-huh. people died. And the goal there was to try to frighten other nations from participating in the Summer Olympics, which were in Seoul the following year. Oh. Park said he saw the North Koreans counting all the money that was going to be used in the plot. Mm-hmm. What was called the Northern Winds scandal. Right. It's not of his own Wikipedia page, which is interesting, but if you Google hmm. it, there's info. He reported his findings to his ANSP bosses and the campaign of Kim. Mm-hmm. like Kim's campaign headquarters right. that made them public. In the end, Kim still won huh. a trio of primary rival was named Lee. They were convicted of breaking the national security law, which hmm. bans contact with the North, but were mm-hmm. acquitted on appeal to the Supreme court after park refused to testify. Oh, well, it reminds me of some Superman comic where Superman won't testify in court. So <laughs> the bad guys let off. Right. Park was fired. He moved to China, spent a lot of time on the golf course. The former leader of the ANSP slashed himself in the abdomen in the bathroom of a prosecutor's office to try to avoid going to prison, but it didn't work. Yikes. When the conservatives returned to power, they brought in a new spy chief. Park was arrested in Seoul Hmm. in 2010, just like it said. Right. Served in solitary confinement, according to him, for six years. But the winds of politics keep shifting. Just in case he's found on the wrong side again, Park claims he has an insurance policy. Recordings he made of his meetings with Kim Jong-il and other people. He said (laughs) they weren't available when he was arrested in 2010, but now he has them safe somewhere in a foreign country and only Uh, he knows where. (laughs) There you go. Oh, that clever guy. And that is it for Spy Fact versus Fiction for me. All right. So let's go into our favorite quotes. What do you have for me? I liked some of the insults that they have here. He says to Jong, how old are you, you little commie pipsqueak? (laughs) I like the part where someone says, we North Koreans are very trusting. Once you get us to believe you're a good guy, we'll even hand over our pants. (laughs) <laughs> but to avoid taking too many, I'm going to say my true favorite quote was said by those toy rifles. They say, oh, gosh. shut up or I'll blast you to bits. I'll incinerate you, capitalist pig. <laughs> so I liked, uh, let's see. I don't remember the context of it, but at one point Park says, if you want honey, sometimes you get stung. And I mentioned this earlier, the superior, who is a businessman superior? Cash, people with money. <laughs> Dollar signs. But I thought the coolest was, when Dr. Choi, at the fake symposium, when he meets the uh, Professor Kim, he's like, ready for cleaning, close the windows. And that's oh, when he activates, yeah. they activate the fake alarm, everyone leaves. And Yeah, that was pretty darn sweet. So now it is time for our ratings on a scale of one to ten martinis. Did it leave us shaken or stirred, you might say? <laughs> no, I'm not sure which one is shaken and which one's stirred. I guess that's mm-hmm. up to you. So one martini is like the Avengers 1998, and ten martinis being some hypothetical movie we have not yet covered. How would we rate The Spy Gone North? I guess I can go first. Sure. The beginning of the movie, I was like totally on board. Stakes were up. It was moving quickly. There was a lot of action. There was a lot of stuff going on. But then as the movie went on, it kind of slowed down. And I know that a lot of foreign movies often are, so I'm trying not to be too harsh on that. Okay. I thought it was interesting how they kind of forgot about the North Korean nuclear weapons (laughs) as the movie went on. I thought it was pretty good. So I will give it six and a half martinis out of ten. Okay. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed the plotting of it. And I liked a lot of like his spy work, like the deception of, all right, you think that the, the recorder is going to be in the bag, but it's actually in his sock and there's the Rolex in the bag or mm. him basically out thinking Kim Jong-il and convincing him not to to sign the order. I thought it was really good. It was engaging for me. And I'm going to give this seven and a half out of ten. Very nice. I do feel if I didn't make that clear already, that if they just moved it along a little bit, some editing, I probably would have rated it higher, but <laughs> it was pretty slow. Thank you for joining us. As always, you can find us on social media, the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.